Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Verse 13. It says, And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also. I'll take care of Ishmael. I love Ishmael. Don't worry about Ishmael. Because he is your offspring, Abraham. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child. So as you kind of read that, it seems like, well, he took the wineskins and kind of propped the 17-year-old boy over Hagar. It kind of reads that way, but that's not what's happening. This is, a, this is practically a grown man. And, Ishmael, and Abraham is sending Ishmael off with Hagar and sent them away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. So Abraham gives her really just enough provision for a short journey. Perhaps thinking she's just going to go to a nearby town. Many think maybe she was supposed to try and get back to Egypt. Whatever the case, she didn't make it to either. She ends up getting lost or something, and she ends up wandering in the wilderness. And like so many stories in the Bible, guys, Hagar was given a promise before she was sent into a wilderness. God had made promises to Hagar about regarding Ishmael, and she ends up in a wilderness. This is a reoccurring pattern and remember, this isn't the first time Hagar was in the wilderness. She'd ran away from Abraham and Sarah back in chapter 16 when she conceived Ishmael. She ran away. She's like, I can't handle this strain, the relational strain. I'm out of here. And God's like, no, go back. I have great plans for Ishmael. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of your son. Trust in me. Follow me. And for Hagar now, it's been 17 years since that promise in the wilderness. So it's been a while for her too. And now it seems like for her it's not going to happen because the promised son has come in and they're out of the picture now. And what what God spoke to me during the section, He reminded me that so often in the Bible, promise is preceded by wilderness. It's, It's a reoccurring pattern. Abraham himself, waiting 25 years, literally wandering around in the deserts and in the promised land. There was this wandering before receiving the promise. The nation that will come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will wander in the wilderness for 40 years. A whole generation will die before they receive the promised land. King David, to name just one of many, he had to roam about in caves, wandering, you know, protecting his life from King Saul before he was anointed king. Jesus wandered in the wilderness prior to his ministry. The Apostle Paul wandered for 14 years. He didn't wander, but he was in the wilderness of Arabia, before he began his ministry. So often, guys, there is a wilderness that takes place before the fulfillment of the promise. There is a wilderness that takes place before the great work God would do in your life. And so we shouldn't be surprised that if we walk with God, that we will find ourselves in seasons of wilderness because it's necessary. It's not an accident. It's not something God is like throwing his hands up like, sorry, I couldn't do anything about it. Sorry, you're there, just just stick it out. No, God, the, the wildernesses are necessary in our lives in order for us to walk in the promises. God can't just give you the promises that He has for you. He has to prepare you for them. And the times of difficulty are the greatest places, the times when God's greatest work is done within us. 
Your times of ease and living and even complacency, very little takes place spiritually. Very little strengthening happens to your faith. But when you go through a wilderness season, God, does, God moves mountains spiritually within you. God knocks down walls. God's work is done. And so the wilderness is necessary. So if you find yourself today in a season of wilderness, you feel hopeless. Don't let discouragement set in. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't. Have you guys seen Kung Fu Panda, the first one? I love uh, Master Ugwe where he's like, don't quit. He's all, don't noodle. Noodle, don't noodle. That's what I thought about when I was reading this. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't noodle, right? Don't just lay down and die like Hagar does here. Call out to God. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Understand God is moving in your wilderness. Allow God's work to be done. Because if all you do is sit down and mope in your season of wilderness, what is God going to accomplish in you? But when you realize, no, God is here in this. God is moving. He's accomplishing. You allow His work to be done within you. And it changes your tone in the wilderness because you know it's not a waste. It's not in vain. Verse 15. When the water in the skin was gone... She put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about a distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. Now this word child is actually, uh, can also mean young, young man. And she sat opposite him and she lifted up her voice and wept. So they're out there wandering in the wilderness. They've run out of water and at this point dehydration sets in and it hits Ishmael really hard. The guy is dying of thirst. So the, Hagar, she can't bear to watch her son die, so she, she helps the young man under, under some shade and, and gives him some distance and just cries out to God. And apparently as Ishmael lays there, he himself cries out to the living God. Because it says in 17, God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is up or get up lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand for I will make him into a great nation then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink so here's Ishmael perishing he's dying and he calls out to the Lord but God doesn't speak to Ishmael who's he speak to he speaks to Hagar he says Hagar get up get up and do something about it how often might you be the answer to someone else's prayer of desperation? Could God might be using you to come along and save somebody else who's dying? He didn't even address Ishmael. He's like, Hagar, get up, get over here. I, I need you right now. But what does she do? She's so overwhelmed by the difficulty of her circumstances that she forgets, one, she forgets the promise of God for Ishmael. She's totally lost sight of the fact that God is going to protect Ishmael and do something great. And she's so weepy that she can't see the well that God has provided for them to sustain them. And so what does she do? She sits down to cry and to die. She's sit, I'm, it's done. It's over. Here it is. I'm just going to cry till I die. Cry all, the, cry all the hydration out of my eyes until I just dry up and die. And I don't mean to trivialize her situation. This was dire straits that they were in. This was, a serious, this was a heavy situation watching her son die. But I also see that there's an important illustration here, spiritually speaking, for us Christians. You see, I think guys, too many Christians 
ho-hum their way through life complaining about how bad things are, how hopeless things are for our nation and our world and the things around us. They're so fixated on the negative that they've forgotten, they've lost sight of the fact that souls are at stake right now, not just governmental issues and societal issues and social issues. Eternal souls are at stake and they've lost sight of this. And they've lost sight of the fact that they have the wellspring of life. They have the solution, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but their eyes are too blurry to see what Jesus is doing right now. They're too busy moping to be a part of what Jesus might do in this crazy season that we are in, crying and, and, and like, like Hagar, just waiting for the world to end. Oh, can you believe this? And they don't realize that they're sitting on the solution. What do we say at Ignition? What do our shirts say? The gospel is still the solution. Jesus is still the answer, especially today. Guys, listen, things are so crazy right now. I, I get that. Heartbreaking things are happening. A lot of frustrating things are happening. But what that means is that the gospel is needed now more than ever. Do you understand that? And I want, I want you to listen to me really closely here, okay? Viruses, abortion, racism, freedom. Like these are freedom. These are very important subjects that need to be talked about for sure. But none of them are as important as the salvation of souls. Do you realize that? None of these issues are as important as the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are important issues, but the gospel should not take a back seat to any of these issues. Do you realize that? In fact, God cares more about the salvation of souls than He does about these issues. That's not to say God does not care about these issues. He does. He wants to work in these issues, but he is chiefly concerned with the salvation of souls. Do you realize people are upset because Jesus did not preach against slavery? That doesn't mean he was for slavery. It meant he had a greater mission. The salvation of souls, the kingdom of God. I would love it if Jesus came and like abolished pestilence and, and created a lot of social reforms when he came, but that's not what he came for. Did he, come? he didn't come for that, did he? He came to save souls. He came to further the eternal kingdom of God. Not because these are unimportant issues, but because these are mere symptoms of the real issue, which is sin. Of which only the gospel has the solution. So we need to understand this, guys. We need to not be like Hagar and just mope around and get fixated on these issues we need to realize, we have to stand up. We need to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ in this day. And if, if the gospel of Jesus Christ is not the most important thing to you, if your greatest desire is not to see souls saved, then you're like Hagar right now. You're just sitting there. You're just moping. What are you accomplishing for God's kingdom? God is saying to you and to me right now, get up. You have the wellspring of life. Just wipe your tears away. Yes, I know things are hard. I know times are crazy and they're probably going to get worse. But who, who said the world is over? Who gave you the authority, preacher man, to say that God is done and He's going to judge America now? I'll, when God does it, He'll do it. 
But until that day comes, we continue to fight for the gospel and salvation of souls. And that is the mission. It does not, the mission does not change. We, we offer the living water to lost souls. Verse 20. And God was with the boy, and he grew up, and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. So God rescues Ishmael. God sets him up. It says he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife uh, for him from the land of Egypt. God is setting Ishmael up to be a, become a great nation, as we'll see in just a few chapters. Um, now the scene will change from the conflict with Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac to now Abimelech comes into the scene. He's seeing how Abraham is increasing in might and power, and he wants to make a peace treaty with, with Abraham. Now, this may be the same king from last chapter, chapter 20. Uh, scholars also believe Abimelech was just a name for king, the kings of that region. We don't really know. I guess it doesn't make a whole lot of difference one way or the other. Verse 22, it says, At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal kindly with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. I'll do that. That sounds, that sounds good to me. Now, we glean a few things about Abraham's reputation here, don't we? The, the unfortunate thing is Abraham has quite the reputation of being a liar. And he, he's worked hard to, to, be, to have that, to gain that. Right? He lied to Pharaoh, put Pharaoh in, in hot water with the Lord. He lied to Abimelech from last chapter. Who knows how, how many more times he's lied. And unfortunately, this pattern will be passed down to his kids. They'll become you know, uh, supplanters and, and schemers as well, just like their, grand, just like their dad. But another thing this tells us is that it's evident to everyone around them that God is with Abraham. And that's awesome. They're like, look, I see that, like, we have gods here, but not like your God. Like, your God actually does things. Um, and if this, if this is the uh, Abimelech of last chapter, it's like, last time I tangled with you, like, all the, all the men and women went sterile. Like, nobody could have kids. We had some serious issues. Uh, please don't mess with us. Like, please just want a peace treaty with you guys. They recognize God is with Abraham. There's a proverb that says that when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And this seems to be one of those instances where God is with Abraham and he's making peace for Abraham with that reputation. But the most important thing that we see from this interaction with Abimelech is that Abraham is now a force to be reckoned with in the region, which means Abraham... His name is great. When Abraham's name comes up among the kings of the region, they worry. They're fearful. They're like, we should probably make a peace treaty with that guy. We should, we should probably take care of that. And we should, I should probably take the commander of my army with me for protection just in case. God is fulfilling His promise in Abraham's life, not just in bringing the, the, the child, but also in making His name great among the nations. So Abraham agrees to this peace treaty, but he also brings up an issue that he had with a well in the area. Verse 25. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about, the well of, about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me. 
and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and two men made a, and the two men made a covenant. And Abraham said, Seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? And he said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me, that I dug this well. Therefore, this place was called Beersheba because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Now, a, a, a fun way to approach the Old Testament is with the understanding and the context that Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, taught the whole Old Testament. It says, from Moses to the prophets, how these things spoke of Christ. And so, we have in the New Testament obvious explanations. This meant Jesus. That meant Jesus. But there's a lot of the Old Testament where we're kind of free to try to find Jesus in the pages of the Scriptures. And, and I see, personally, I see in this a picture of our redemption in Jesus Christ as Abraham deals with Abimelech over this well. You see, if Abimelech were to represent Satan, the enemy of your soul, the ruler of this age, the ruler of this world, we would be the well that his servants had seized. Those of us who were deep in the world, not saved for quite a time, we had been confiscated, we had been overtaken by the, ser the servants of Satan. As the Bible says that we were under the sway of the wicked one to do his will. We could not but sin. We could only sin. Being held captive, not even realizing, we thought we were free. But we were held captive by the devil, by his servants. But the Father, what happened? The Father came along in my life and he reproved Satan. Just as it says, Abraham approved Abimelech. The Father came along and was like, no, Satan, this is not how this is going to work. You have no claim to this one. You have no right to rule over this one. This one's mine. And what else did the Father do? The Father said, not only did I create this person, like Abraham said, this is, I, I built this well. Not only did I create this individual, but I've redeemed them with the blood of the Lamb of God. You see, wherever you see lambs in the Old Testament given to purchase something, chances are it's a picture and an illustration of Jesus. In fact, all throughout the sacrificial system, it was all pictures of the sacrifice of Jesus, fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And those of us who have received the sacrifice, the enemy is now powerless to retain us. Do you realize that? You were powerless to overcome the enemy before Christ. You might not even realize that now. But without Jesus, the enemy was able to do whatever he wanted in your life. He could possess you if he wanted. Or he could just keep you really comfortable and allow you to coast right into hell if he wanted. But you see, when Christ comes in, when God comes and reproves the devil, he is powerless to retain us. He cannot come back and reclaim us. He cannot. We've been set free from the control of the wicked one, and we are now set apart for the use of the Father. So Satan cannot come and draw from you any longer. And you shouldn't let him. Some Christians go back and allow him to. They go back and allow Satan to use them. 
but He is powerless to draw from your well any longer. You are set apart now for God's use so that you would be a well of refreshment for God. I think one of the most amazing aspects of Christianity is that God equips us to be priests in the heavenly kingdom so that as we gather, as we worship God, we are actually ministering to God's heart. We are blessing God's heart. And so that as God redeems us as these living wall, these, these wells, living wells, He finds refreshment in us. Isn't that amazing? Not only that, but that He would take delight in us as He comes to us and He finds His living water overflowing in us, His Holy Spirit living in us. It blesses His heart to see that. What a cool picture we have here. Verse 33, we'll end it here. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and he called there on the name of the Lord, uh, Yahweh that is. And he said, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. So in other words, he settled back into his call. Remember, he was to explore the promised land. And that's what he did. He sojourned the promised land. But here, seeing God's faithfulness, Abraham plants a tree, a tamarisk tree, to commemorate uh, th this time in his life. And, and he worships God. Kind of like an Ebenezer, when Samuel set up the Ebenezer stone about God's faithfulness, or uh, um, Joshua set up the pile of rocks of the Jordan to commemorate what God has done. Abraham plants this tree. And this is one amazing thing we can learn from Abraham. We should follow Abraham. And that is Abraham worshipped God before the promise as he waited for the promise and after he received the promise. Abraham was a man of worship. And he did this because he realized that God was worthy of worship regardless of what season he was in. Despite what God did or did not do, whether God met his expectations or not, God was worthy of worship. And so Abraham worshipped in every season. I love seeing that. But what's also interesting about this passage is that this is the first time that God is referred to as the everlasting God. God everlasting. You see, there was a reason why Abraham worshipped no matter what season. There's a reason why, as we'll see next chapter, Abraham is even willing to give up the promised son for God. And that is because... Abraham realizes God is the greatest blessing in his life. God is the everlasting God. God is the God that is the blessing that outlives all other blessings. The son of promise, the well that he was blessed with, the peace with his enemies, the promised land. God was greater to Abraham than all of these blessings. And so he was open-handed with these blessings. He worshiped God while receiving these blessings, and he gave them back to God. And I want you guys to remember this. I want to remember this. Next time we receive a temporal blessing from God, next, when, when you're finally sitting in that new car you're, you're trying to get because your old car was so dumpy, when, when you finally have that degree in your hand, or that job is finally yours, or you finally get to wake up next to the man or the woman you love, you're finally married, right? These you finally have that precious child. Next time you receive these, these blessings, stop and worship God in that moment. Stop and make, allow God to have first place. Acknowledge God is, is the blessing that will outlive and outlast even these amazing blessings. I love my wife. I love my kids. Of, of all the things I've been blessed with, they're at the top of the list as far as my earthly life here. But I also realize that God, my relationship with God is deeper than what I have with them. 
my relationship with God will outlast and outlive what we have now in this life. God has to be first. God is the everlasting God. And we ought to worship Him in these, in these blessed seasons. So in closing, guys, God keeps His promises. Why? Because He can't help to. He can only keep His promises. And, and we see it fulfilled for Abraham, but there is a promise yet to be fulfilled for us. There are things that we are waiting for God to fulfill, specifically the resurrection. The resurrection, the return of Christ, the day that we will be raised from the dead. This is something we have yet to see. All we know is life, death, the grave. This is what we've seen for millennia. It's all we've experienced. To us right now, resurrection is only a promise we read about in the scriptures. That's it. But it's going to come true just as much as all the other promises have come true. Just as sure as the sun is going to come up tomorrow and the seasons will change, you will be resurrected from the grave. Isn't that crazy to think about? Think about this, guys. There's coming a day when you and I, we will be stand, death will be a thing of the distant past and we will be standing in the glorified, resurrected bodies in everlasting life. We can't even imagine what that looks like now, but that, that, that day is coming. We will be on the other side of that hope, of that expectation. And it's going to be amazing. But I also have to say that you will only receive the eternal life if you have a relationship with Jesus. If you, if you know Jesus Christ, that is the only way that this hope will be something delightful for you. You see, the Bible says, blessed are those who take part in the first resurrection. That's because it's the first resurrection that people go into heaven. They, they, they enter in and they don't stand before the great white throne. They stand before the bema seat of Christ. Blessed are those who partake of the first resurrection. That's where you want to be. Those who have a relationship with Christ. But there's another resurrection that takes place at the very end. God saves this final resurrection for those who want to have words with Him. For those who reject Christ. For those who will only have the option of standing before the great white throne judgment of God. And the Bible says that the expectations of the wicked will perish. It's a very sad verse. We all expect heaven. Everybody out there is hoping to go to heaven. Everybody is. But for those who reject Jesus Christ, that expectation will perish. It will not be met. And so I just want to, I want to end with this. If you are trusting in works, if you have not received Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I urge you, receive Him now as you're listening to this message. If God is giving you the slightest inkling that He's speaking to you right now, don't take that for granted. Turn to Him. Turn to Christ. Receive the hope. Receive the blessed grace of God. It's so simple. God loves you. God is not requiring you to jump through hoops. He simply wants you to enter into a relationship with Him. So let's all stand and pray, and I'm going to pray for those of you who might be doing that. And Father, we, we are humbled before You right now, Lord God. We thank You, God, for the example of Abraham. We thank You for all the ways in which You fulfilled promises in our life, Lord, all the desires that You have met. You've been so good to us, Lord, given us more than we deserve, really. And we know that there's, there are more uh, fulfillments to come. Lord, the greatest of which what we talked about, the resurrection, the hope of eternal life, when we can enter into eternity and forever be with you. We look forward to that day. That is the greatest hope that we have. Lord, greater than any 
other expectation in this life, Father. And so I pray for those specifically now who do not have this hope, who aren't sure of their salvation. Lord, you said that that you've written the word of God to us that we may know we have eternal life in 1 John. And so I pray that right now they would experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as they open their hearts and minds and lives to you, Jesus, as Savior. Lord, that those who have not done so would have the courage and boldness to say this prayer, to say, Jesus, reveal yourself to me. That they would actually be bold enough to dare you to reveal yourself to them. And that they would find you moving in their life. That they would receive you as Lord and Savior God. And that no one in this room, no one hearing this message would be apart from the first resurrection. I pray, I pray earnestly, God, right now that you would do that work by the power of the Holy Spirit. And those of us who have this hope, God, keep us rooted, grounded in you, thankful for your promises. We love you and we worship you tonight. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.